Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning on this 4th of July. Most of you are aware, some of you may not, that uh, I was a history teacher for many years. And uh, one of the things you begin to realize is sometimes you recognize that you're beginning to live history. You begin teaching things you actually live through. And you're going, how did that happen? And, uh, but uh, it, it's fun. And I remember growing up, I used to have, uh, go to my parents, or my grandparents rather, and sit on their front porch and I'd ask my grandfather, who was born in 1901, or my grandmother, what was life like? And they would tell me stories about what it was like growing up in a small coal mining town and, and, uh, or what it was like during the Great Depression. Yet my grandfather put my uncle through college and put my uncle through seminary to be a pastor, put two daughters through nursing school to serve as nurses on a coal miner's salary during the Great Depression and the New Deal. So history is personal to me and history should be personal to each of us because in fact, it's the story of people's lives. So when we're looking uh, this morning on the 4th of July, we're looking at Independence Day, right? Where we declared our independence from Great Britain. And uh, most of you are familiar with the early part of the Declaration of Independence, where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, when we look at that, sometimes we gloss over that. We jump right to the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we miss something in there that all men were created equal. And they were endowed by, endowed by their creator, God, with certain unalienable rights. And somehow we have begun to forget that. Somehow we're trying to find other ways of explaining things other than God. Well, there's something else in the Declaration of Independence that most people miss because they don't bother to read the whole document. And when I was teaching government, they had to read the whole document. And they had to take a look at all the different uh, uh, complaints they had against the King of England and show, okay, were those just bogus or did we do something about that later? And then look at all the different other documents and things like that to say, oh, that's in the Constitution, that's in the Northwest Ordinance, that was in the Articles of Confederation, whatever it may be, to go, they're all there. So when we go back and we take a look at the Declaration, the last sentence is important too. Because they said, and for the support of this Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You see, it wasn't only a declaration of independence from an earthly king. It was a declaration of dependence upon God. Amen. That it would be God that would lead us to victory. It would be God that was going to be the center of our lives. And yet, as time has gone on, 
we have had a tendency to forget that. And so let's go back in another history lesson. Let's go back about 3,000 years ago, and that's ancient Israel. Ancient Israel also had a day of independence. We call it Passover. Oh. But for them to be freed from their bondage to slavery in Egypt, they had to depend upon God. Now, how did they do that? Well, God said, I want you to slay a lamb and take the blood, put it on the doorpost so the whole world can see you're under the blood. And then God would pass over those homes that had the blood on the door, signifying that they were trusting in the living God to free them from bondage. And what happened? The, the destroyer went through Egypt, killing the firstborn, and Egypt said, get out of here. Please take our wealth with you. Go. But then God gave them a warning. We see the warning in Deuteronomy, and he says, now, when you're in the land that I'm going to give you, and it's a land abundant, and you begin to be prosperous, and you're eating, and everything's going well, don't neglect me. Don't neglect me. And those of you who know your Bible know that that's exactly what Israel did. And then we'll see in Psalm 81, where God comes out and says, I did all these things, and then you ignored me. Why won't you listen to me? And so God eventually had to lead them out, okay, allowing the, uh, first the Assyrians and then the Babylonians to conquer the Northern Kingdom, then conquer uh, Judah itself and destroy the temple and to remove them. But God kept his promise and brought them back. So you see, we have to be careful because we too as a nation, although founded on correct principles, we can wander away from the faith as well. We can wander away from the truth of how we were founded. Unless you think that hasn't happened, even back in 1863, listen to this proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. He was calling for a national day of prayer. And in 1863, we're in the middle of the Civil War. And Lincoln says, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Mm. So, when we're looking at where we are today, oh, I have to give a little caution here. Because when we start looking at our nation and we're thinking, is God going to bring judgment? We know from Scripture that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And we know there's an old saying that says, as goes the church, so goes the nation. So as we're looking around, it's not so much political changes that are necessary. It's not so much reforms or economics. It's not so much ethical or moral reform. Those are all needed. But what's needed is for the church to return to God Amen. and his word yes. and the empowering Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. And by the way, lest I forget, 
True life is found in Christ. True liberty is found in Christ. And true happiness is found in Christ. And apart from Christ, we're going to look for liberty someplace else. We're going to look for life and define life all on our own. Apart from Christ, we're going to think this leads to happiness when it just leads to bondage. And so, we'll open up your Bibles with me. We're going to backtrack a little bit. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but I want to backtrack and take a look at um, verses 1 through 5, setting the stage for uh, uh, where we're going here. So last week, we were taking a look at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 18 through chapter 2, verse 5. So I just want to review the first five verses from last week. And here we see that the gospel centers on the death of Christ. So when we say, well, what is the good news? The good news is the death of Christ. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, lest you think this is the first time he brings this up, in verse 17, he referenced, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In verse 18, he continued and said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And then in verse 23, he says, uh, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both to the Greeks, both to the Jews and the Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So that's the background to the message we're going to be dealing with today. And that is, the heart of the gospel is Christ crucified. And if we want to live a life that's pleasing to God, that has to be central in our lives. So, let's take a look at today's lesson, and we're looking at uh, verses 6 through 16. And here we're looking at the concept of receiving wisdom from the Spirit. So I'm just going to read through these passages, and then we're going to go back and take a, a look at them. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen or ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we might impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, some translations will say interpreting spiritual truths with spiritual words. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself, uh, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So as we're looking at this, we're going to see that there are a number of contrasts that the Apostle Paul is setting out for us. And if we look at these contrasts, the first ones we're going to start off and goes back to uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we see Paul is saying there's basically two classifications of people in the world. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Now we're looking here and it says being saved. Well, what do we mean by being saved? Okay, so we're going to have a little uh, theology lesson here. Okay, salvation, as many of you know, salvation comes in three parts. Past, present, and future. So past tense, I have been saved, is what's called justification. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. My sins have been forgiven, and Christ's righteousness has been credited to my account. That's called the atonement. That's called substitutionary atonement. Christ was my substitute on the cross. He paid my penalty, the penalty that I deserved on the cross, and in exchange, his righteousness was credited to my account. So that's past tense. I have been saved. Present tense of salvation, I am being saved, we call sanctification. And sanctification is being transformed into the image of Christ day by day, event by event, whatever comes up, the good or the bad, the successes or the failures, God will use those to transform us to be more like Christ. Okay? So that's being saved. And that still is reliance upon Christ, reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And then one day we will be saved, future tense, that is called glorification, when we are in the presence of Christ, we, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So that's that whole category of those who are being saved. All right. Now on the other side, we have those who are perishing. Well, what does that mean? Those are, pe those are people who are apart from Christ. Those are people who have yet to receive salvation. And to think about that, let's take a look at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 and verse 36. Je Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. You see, for God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in the Son is not condemned, he who does not believe in the Son stands condemned already. See, he's perishing. Stands condemned already, for he does not believe in God's one and only Son. Then verse 36 says, 
Those who believe in the Son have eternal life. Those who do not obey the Son, obey the Son by believing in Him. Those who do not obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on them. The wrath of God remains on them. So they are condemned. God's wrath is upon them. They are perishing. Why? Because they've rejected Christ. So we have those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Now, as we take a look at some of the other uh, um, contrast here, we see uh, both in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see references to the spirit, of, uh, the wisdom of God, rather. And then we see the wisdom of this age. And we also see the wisdom of the rulers of this age. And then in uh, chapter 1, it references it as the wisdom of the world. Then it also references it as the wisdom of men. So it's the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men, the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this current age we're living in, the wisdom of the rulers of this age, those who are in control. Now, some believe that the rulers of this age uh, refers to the demonic spirits that are at work around us. So we see that contrast. The next contrast is we see the Spirit of God, also referenced as the Spirit from God, also referenced as the Spirit. And of course, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. So on the one side, we see the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit from God, the Spirit. On the other side, we see the Spirit of man, that's our, ourselves, and we see the spirit of the world, either the collective spirit of men or, once more, the spirit of this age is Satan, who deceives the world, okay? Who has blinded the eyes of the people in this world that they might not see the truth. And so we see that division. And then the last contrast we see is the spiritual person, or some translations will say the person with the spirit, person with the Holy Spirit is a spiritual person. And then next we see the natural person. And the natural person is a person who does not have the Spirit. Now here's the thing. We all at one time were natural persons. All we had was our basic human nature. And that basic human nature had the spirit of man in it. And we had the wisdom of man, ourselves. Now, if you ever want to take a look at what the spirit of man and the wisdom of man has looked like, look at young children. Right? And I love watching little children play and things like that, but once more we see ourselves, we see our nature clearly revealed. You know, they can be selfish. They want their own way. You know, maybe the first word they learn is no or mine. Okay? And... We've all been there. We still see that. My neighbors have young kids. I get to watch that all the time. But, a, but that's all there is. And we're trying to figure out this world. And you see a little child trying to figure out the world and what is this and what's dangerous and what's not. And sometimes they might get it right and other times they don't. But they can be deceived too. But it's amazing how many times when you try to explain something, they already know the answer. They're an expert don't need to be told. Yeah, right? And of course, when we get older, that changes, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Who's that to tell me what to do? Wow, 
So you see, we still have that spirit in us. We still have the natural man. We still have the spirit of man. We still have the wisdom of man in us. But we now have God's Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us as well. Okay? And as Paul says in Romans, that struggle goes on. And that struggle is going to go on until the Lord calls us home or he returns and we meet him in the air. Okay. So, let's take a little bit of look at this and see where we're going to go. So once more, when we're looking at fallen, uh, when we're looking at uh, humanity then, we're looking at man's fallen nature. And that fallen nature, now the theology lesson here, we have the term called total depravity. And total depravity means not, some people misinterpret that, that doesn't mean 100% of us is 100% corrupt or sinful. It means that 100% of us has been tainted by sin. So even when we try to do good in the natural self, it's tainted by something selfish, self-centered along those lines. Okay? And as such, once more, uh, without the Holy Spirit, okay, that's, that's the norm that we're working in. So then when we look at uh, uh, the spirit of this world, once more, as I mentioned to you, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 2 and 3, um, in which you once walked, that's the ways of this world, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we can see then, uh, this is very, very difficult situation that the world's in. The world is just acting what's natural to them. Okay? And the world rejects, in and of themselves, they're going to reject the truth of the gospel. The truth that they are what? Sinful and in need of a Savior. Now, where has this wisdom led us to? What is the current uh, state of... What is the current state of our culture? Came across an interesting article that uh, tried to define it in, in uh, five basic uh, shifts that can be seen in our culture. Number one, today, the highest good is now individual freedom and happiness. The highest good is now individual freedom and happiness. Number two, traditions, regulations, and social ties that restrict freedom that restrict happiness, that restrict self-expression, are being deconstructed or destroyed. Once again, traditions, regulations, and social ties that restrict freedom, restrict happiness, and self-expression are being deconstructed or destroyed. Third, the world will get better with progress, technology, and education. The world will get better with progress, technology, and education. And four, ethics has become prioritized around the quest for individual freedom and self-expression. Ethics has become prioritized around the quest for individual freedom and self-expression. And then five, there are forms of external authority that need to be rejected, and personal authenticity is celebrated as the ultimate thing. There are forms of external authority that need to be rejected and personal authenticity is celebrated as the ultimate thing. That's where the world is today. 
You see, the world has a trinity. There is a trinity in this world. It's called me, myself, and I. And when we take a look at what the world's doing right now, the highest good is my individual freedom, my individual happiness. And anything that's going to restrict my individual freedom, my individual happiness, and my self-expression need to be deconstructed or destroyed. And then, once more, ethics are prioritized around my individual freedom and my self-expression. So I determine what is or is not ethical. It's basically what pleases me. And then once more, any external authority has to be rejected if it's going to deny me my right to personal authenticity, however I choose to define that. Wow. Well, what did Jesus have to say about that? Well, in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, very familiar passage. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? So once more, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So taking up our cross, that's the crucifixion. We need to die to that self. Which self? That natural self. That spirit of man that's in us. That wisdom of man that's in us. We need to die to that, how often? Daily. See, because that part of us is still in us. All right? And then, then and only then can we truly follow Christ. Now, Jesus emphasized that uh, also in um, Luke 14, in verses 26 to 27, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce All that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, with Jesus, there can only be one king. And so either Jesus is the king of your life, or you've put something else on the throne. It might be yourself. It might be, you know, success. It might be glamour. It might be your job. It might be money. It might be a home. You could even say it might be family. You can make family your idol. You can make others your idol and not Christ. Okay? Because one of the things he also said in Luke 26, I skipped that one, but I'll put it in now. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. So in other words, nothing can be king in our life except Christ. Otherwise, we're going to drift into the ways of the world. Okay? And so as we look at some of those um, cultural shifts, unfortunately, some of those have seeped into our lives. 
Why? We're bombarded with it all the time. You know, it's just like we can go out and we can hand sanitize all we want. We can wear a mask. But we also know that at some point in time, we might still come in contact with germs, diseases, viruses, the flu, whatever it may be. Okay? So we take our precautions, but we also have to understand that the risks are there because it's constantly around us. Well, likewise, the world is constantly around us. They're bombarding us with ads on the TVs, and, and uh, you get stuff, uh, you know, uh, on TV programs, all right? You, you get that message of the world coming out in so many ways, probably when you go to work, okay, in your neighborhood, wherever it may be. So, bottom line then is, how are we to live a cross-centered life? So once more, for each of us, we need to make this decision that the cross is central to our lives. Now, some traditions in Christianity, they have Christ on the cross. Protestant churches have an empty cross because it symbols not only Christ's crucifixion, but also his burial and resurrection. So that Christ is raised. The resurrection is key to our beliefs. But once more, as we take a look at this, have I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior? There may be some that are here this morning or some may be listening in online. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, according to Paul, there's only two camps. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Well, this very morning, you can surrender your life to Christ. You'd simply acknowledge to God that you are a sinner, that you are deserving of punishment, and yet you're throwing yourself on the mercy of God and accepting his free gift of salvation that he provided you through his son, Jesus Christ. And just as we saw in Exodus, in the Passover, where they took the blood and put it on the doorpost and they placed themselves under the blood of that lamb, when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, as we saw last week, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he broke it, he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup and after having blessed it, he said, This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the remission of sins. Drink ye all of it, and do this in remembrance of me. So we see all the way back to the Passover, we see the declaration of dependence upon God for freedom to bondage, from bondage. And as humans today, once more, if we want to be freed from the bondage to sin and to death, we need to surrender to Christ and become dependent upon God. So if you have not done that, you can do that this morning. Now, if you have done that, then for the rest of us might be question two. What lies of the world do I need to be delivered from? You know, sometimes growing up, somebody, you know, I was at, um, um, I went to a training session uh, at the national office of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and um, uh, they had a session there where they were asking this, to a group of men that were preparing for ministry and uh, men and women who were preparing for ministry and they asked this question. 
And for some people, the lie that they have believed is that they're stupid. They're ugly. You'll never amount to anything. What lies are you believing? See, those lies come right from the pit of hell. Because who you are in Christ, you are a child of the king. You are a joint heir with Christ. You have been adopted. All of your sins have been forgiven. You have the righteousness of Christ. You have the mind of Christ in you. Are you using it? You know, we got apps on our phones. But if we don't use it, I have it, but I don't use it. See, like, I don't use those direction finder ones. I can get there myself. Okay? Well, same way. We can either rely on ourselves. And Paul says this in Galatians, did you begin in grace that you're now going to work out your salvation you know, on your own? No, it's all through Christ. Okay? So what lies are you believing? What strongholds still exist in your life that you need Christ to overcome? Okay, sometimes in our past life, we, we gave into a given sin, and, and although we've confessed it, we've repented of it, did we allow God to totally root it out? Or does Satan still have a stronghold, a little, a little area where he's not going to let us go? Well, he's going to keep coming up, keep attacking us. Christ can set you free from that. What is hindering me from receiving all the wisdom the Spirit wants to freely give me? Wisdom about my past. Wisdom about my present. Wisdom about my future. Because you see, the Holy Spirit knows you. He knows you inside and out. He knows your every thought from the moment you were created to the present day. And you know what? He even knows what you're going to think tomorrow. What? He's God. He's got this. Why don't we trust him? Why don't we let him give us the wisdom we need? You know, and he'll do that in strange ways sometimes. Okay, it's not always the way we think it's going to be. And I'll close with this story, although I got the fifth one to add here, but, you know, what in my life do I need to surrender to Jesus? I had uh, been very successful in, in the coaching field in one area. I stepped away from that uh, for a year, and then two years later, another position similar opened up, and I decided to apply for that. And I felt I was the best qualified for that, and... Um, and I applied for it. There was only two candidates, and I didn't get the job. And then I had prayed, God, you know, I pray for your will to be done. And couldn't figure out why God's will wasn't done. <laughs> How did this guy get that job? And then I worked for him, and you know what? Everything I thought would happen, happened. See, I was right. Well, it took about nine months of this going on when all of a sudden I'm in a conversation with this individual and in the midst of that conversation, God had to step in and said, why are you resisting me? You asked for my will to be done. It was. Why are you resisting me? 
It wasn't about who was better qualified. You were, but you asked for my will to be done, and it was. Why are you resisting me? Right then and there, I, I, I said, okay. I told the individual I was going to resign, you know, and, and not coach that year. And Mary Beth will tell you, I was depressed. I was totally depressed for three days. How could I miss? How could I miss that for nine months and be complaining to God that his will wasn't done when in reality it was? So, What's hindering me from receiving all that the Holy Spirit has intended for me? What in my life do I need to surrender? Well, the worship team is coming up here. Let me offer us a, a prayer. Father, we desperately need your goodness and grace each and every day of our lives. Lord Jesus, you said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, we have a tendency to do a lot of nothing. We think we're accomplishing all kind of wonderful things, but they really amount to nothing. And Father, I pray that you'd grant us clarity, each and every one of us, including myself, where we are at this moment in time. And Lord, that you would be gracious, gracious to us to point out those areas. May we surrender them to you. May we listen to your still, small voice speaking into our lives. And Father, may not one of us leave the way we came, but may we all be closer to you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.